I invite you please to stand for hearing the word today. The word today comes from Psalm chapter 25. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day long. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgression. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. The word of God. Please be seated. Welcome to uh, visitors and guests. I saw a number of you in the cafe enjoying a scrumptious goodness, whatever that was. We are on a two-week sermon series on being kind. We missed last week. You can see online Pastor Chris's sermon. And today, one more week on kindness before we head into the Advent season. Psalm 25 says, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your, and your loving kindness. Last week, Pastor Chris told us about this word. It's the word in Hebrew, chesed, that occurs in the Old Testament 246 times. The word kindness, it's often translated kindness or to be kind. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated love. And various different forms of this word occurs. In the Psalms alone, we find it over 40 times. And often there it is translated in our English translations as loving kindness, chesed, kindness. Kindness is one of the key ingredients of who God is and who God calls us to be. And that is why we find this word scattered throughout the Old Testament, chesed, loving kindness, because it tells us who God is and what God wants us to be. Not just what, but who. Loving kindness. There's a British game show called Golden Balls where game theory is at play. I first heard about this listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Radio Lab. Are there anybody that listened to Radio Lab? It's a fantastic podcast. Uh, Listen to it. And uh, they talked about game theory and this particular game show. Um, The game is about winning money, but it's not only about winning money, it is also about, about showing who we are as human beings. Let me explain it very briefly. It's not super complex, but I'll try and capture what it is. There are four ball, well, let me say this. There's lots of things that happen leading up to the last five minutes that truly is the, the climax of this, of this game show. The last five minutes, you have two uh, contestants sitting across each other, facing each other, and there are four golden balls, two in front of each of them. One ball says split, the other ball says steal. And then you put these two together, and for uh, 
since the start of the show, through various ways, they've come to earn a specific amount of money. And uh, whatever that money is, these two people have to decide whether they're going to split the money or whether they're going to steal the money. So you have three options. As you're sitting in front of the two golden balls that face you, you can choose the split. If both contestants choose the split ball, then you split the winnings. That seems to be the good way to go, right? You want money, I want money, let's split it. I mean, we came here to play a game. We came with zero do dollars or pounds, euros in, let's split the money. However, you also have a steel ball and you can play the steel ball. If you play the steel ball and the other person plays the split ball, you, with the steel ball, wins the money. However, if both of you play the steel ball, you both walk away with nothing. A very simple game that puts the character of humanity in front of an audience and television. <laughs> because what do you do? Well, if it's $1,000, we'll split. But what if it's $100,000? And so just before you make this decision, the host, we're gonna see a video clip of it in just a second, the host invites the two contestants to have a conversation with each other and to convince each other that they are gonna split the money or not. Um, and if you're the kind person, you're going to split. So it's about two minutes of this uh, video clip. It is a British television show, so the accent may throw you off a little bit, but you'll get that. Here we go. Stephen, I just hope they weren't puppy dog tears and they were real oh. tears and you were genuinely going to split that money. I am going to split this. I, I, that's 50,000. I'm, I'm just, un, it's unbelievable. I'm very, very happy to go on with 50,000. You were genuinely going to split if I stole off you, every single person there would run over here and lynch me. There was no way I could, I mean, everyone who knew me would just be disgusted if I stole When When people watch this, they're not going to believe it. Please. I can look you not? in the, Sarah, I can look you straight in the eye and tell you I am going to split. Promise. I swear down to you, Thank I you am kids. going to split. Okay. This is serious money. It is. Sarah, Steve. Choose either the split or the steel ball now. Hold it up. We're going on with 50 grand each. I promise you that. Split or steel? You never know what's coming in this game. Congratulations, Sarah, you have just won £100,150. Stephen, I'm so sorry, commiserations, you've lost. Okay, so, an unfamiliar feeling for one of you, but a horribly familiar feeling for the other. This has been Golden Balls, until next time, goodbye. Golden Balls has taught me that some people look for revenge quite easily and greed obviously knows no bounds. When Steve revealed the split ball, I wasn't proud. I didn't feel happy about what I'd done, but 
having been stabbed in the back last time, I just couldn't put myself through it again. Well, are you feeling okay? Anybody want to throw something at the screen? There's tension in this, right? And we haven't even sit, sat for the 40 minutes of the show. It all builds up to this final moment where not only money is on the line, but who we are as human beings. Are we kind or are we greedy? The producers of the show make money off of betting that many people are going to be greedy and not kind. And it makes for fantastic television as we see people slump on the table and go, oh, I could have had 50 grand. Fascinating. We're going to look at three characters in scripture very briefly this morning that gives us, us a glimpse of kindness in scripture, of who we are and of who God is, of who they were in these specific moments and of who God wanted them to be. Jewish rabbinical commentary is fantastic. Unlike lots of Christian commentators, Jews, uh, uh, rabbis in their rabbinical commentary love to question scripture. It is something that is ingrained in them from an early age because they have this love and passion for scripture, but they're in dialogue with it and question it because of God's goodness. And so this morning I'm going to share with you some of what rabbinical commentary and scholars have said about these three patriarchs who all confronted the idea of kindness, of who God is and of who we are, in three different ways. The first patriarch is Noah, and we know the story of Noah very well. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have the creation of the world, the creation of humankind, and very quickly in the scope of Scripture, we go from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, chapter 3, sin happens. It happens very quickly in the narrative. And by chapter 6, God says, I want to destroy the world because of humanity's injustice, how they behave, their greed. Let's read it together. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth and that every idea in their minds thought up was always completely evil. Still. <laughs> the Lord regretted making human beings on earth and he was heartbroken. So the Lord said, I will wipe off the land the human race that I have created. From human beings to livestock to crawling things to birds in the sky because I regret that I ever made them. But as for Noah, the Lord approved of him. In his generation, Noah was a what? He was a... A moral and exemplary man, he walked with God. God said to Noah, the end has come for all creatures since they have filled the earth with violence. I am now about to destroy them along with the earth, so make a wooden ark. Then he makes the ark and verse 17, I am now bringing the floodwaters over the earth to destroy everything under the sky that breathes. Everything on earth is about to take its last breath. But I will set my covenant with you. You will go in the ark together with your sons and your wife and your son's wives. Noah did everything as God commanded him. Jewish rabbinical commentary is not quite what we think it would be. Of Noah 
Abraham and Moses, the other characters that we will study, Noah is revered less than the others. Because in Jewish commentary, if you read Genesis chapter 6, we notice that Noah confronted with greed and unkindness in the world, God says that God is going to destroy the human race. But God meets Noah and says, I will save you. Rabbinical commentary on this says that they are disappointed in Noah because Noah never tries to convince God not to destroy the world. If you read Genesis chapter 6, in fact, we often say that Noah preached for 120 years to the people to try and convince them in the ark. If you read Genesis chapter 6, without jumping forward to 2 Peter in the New Testament, if you only stick to Genesis, the narrative never says that Noah did any kind of preaching. Hang with me, okay? So I know for many of you this may be a new idea. It is only once we get to 2 Peter in the New Testament that Peter, the author of Peter, says that Noah preached for 120 years. However, in Matthew chapter 24, it is a little ambivalent and not quite clear, or maybe it is clear, because in Noah chapter, uh, Noah chapter 24, you can go read Noah this afternoon if you like. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about the end in Noah's times, and it says, I quote, Noah's contemporaries, quote, did not know until the flood came and took them away. Now, I'm sharing with you Jewish rabbinical commentary. In the Genesis narrative, they are not very happy with brother Noah because Noah never confronted God about God's kindness and said, God, you are kinder than this. Don't destroy the world. Let's go to character number two. While the tension in the building is palpable. Abraham. We know the story of Abram really well. Abram is called by God to form a new nation. God says, I will make a covenant with you. I will make you a great nation. Skip a couple of chapters. Uh, Genesis chapter 17, we find that God meets with Abram and Sarah and tells them that they will have a child. And Noah and Sarah go, we're a hundred years old. Good joke, God. <laughs> God knows that Sarah was laughing and all these kind of things. And God says, I am the God of the impossible. You will become a great nation. Right after that interaction, we find that God and two vis visitors, uh, three men, we know God visiting with Abram uh, and have a conversation with him. And uh, God looks at Sodom and has a message for Abram. Chapter 18, the men, the angels got up and God got up from where, uh, from there and went over looking down on Sodom. Abram was walking along with them to send them off on their way. And the Lord said, will I keep from Abram what I'm about to do? A fascinating question that God asked God's self. Jewish commentators say God always invites conversation. 
The Lord uh, said, the cries of injustice from Sodom and Gomorrah are countless, and their sins are very serious. I will go down now to examine the cries of injustice that have reached me. Have they really done all of this? If not, I want to know. And of course, if we jump to Ezekiel chapter 16, we know what the sin of Sodom was. Ezekiel says, this is the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were proud. They had plenty to eat. They were, enjoyed prosperous ease. But Sodom did not help the poor and the needy. They became arrogant and did detestable things in front of me and I turned away from them as soon as I saw it. God, along with, well, not Abraham yet, but God looks at Sodom and sees they had prosperous ease and they did not share their wealth with the poor. The story continues in Genesis. The men turned away and walked towards Sodom, but Abram remained there standing in front of God. Abram approached and said, God, will you really sweep away the innocent with the guilty? What if there are 50 innocent people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not save the people for the sake of the 50 innocent people in it? It is not like you, God, to do this, killing the innocent with the guilty, as if there were no difference. It is not like you at all, God. Will you judge all of the earth, uh, with the judge of all the earth, not act justly? The Lord said, if I find 50 innocent people in the city of Sodom, I will save it because of them. Abram responded, since I've decided to speak with my Lord, even though I'm just soil and ash, what if there are five fewer innocent people than, than 50? Will, will you destroy the city over just those? The Lord said, if I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. I'm going to skip a couple of verses because Abram continues this dialogue with God. He is playing steal or split. And, and, and Abram is saying, let's split. But God seems to want to steal. Abram said, since I've already decided to speak with you, Lord, what, what if there are 20 there? God says, for the sake of 20, I'll do it. Abram says, don't be angry with me, Lord, but let me speak just one more time. What if there are? What if there are 10? And then the Lord says, I will not destroy it because of those 10. And you know what happens next? When the Lord finished speaking with Abram, he left but Abraham stayed there in that place. Moses confronted with a God who's gonna destroy the earth, saves his family, does not speak up on behalf of the rest of the world or challenge God's kindness. Abraham moves forward and challenges God's kindness. God, is it like you to kill the just and the unjust? Jewish rabbinical scholars revere Abraham a little bit more than Noah because Noah did not intercede in behalf of the people, but Abraham did. However, they still dock points from him because Abraham only interceded on behalf of the innocent. And Jewish scholars say, good job, Abraham, but you did not go a step further. Abraham argues with God for the sake of the righteous or the innocent. And perhaps he stopped at 10 because his family, Lot, his wives and children, were in Sodom. Perhaps he stopped there not knowing whether Lot and his family will be destroyed. And then we know the story well that Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. 
By the way, in Ezekiel, God says to Israel, your fortunes will be restored like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel chapter 18. So, Noah, Abraham, and then we get to Moses, who is revered above all the patriarchs by Jewish scholars. Moses is with the people of Israel in the desert, and they are wondering. <laughs> they're wondering and they're wondering. <laughs> Should we have done this thing? Should we trust this God? Is God kind? We do not have food. We do not have water. We're going to complain. We're going to grumble. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to speak with God, and then he is gone for 40 days. The Israelites are getting antsy in the hustle and bustle of the season of wandering in the desert. And while Moses is up with God receiving the commandments, we know that the people fall astray, and they bring gold from all their necklaces and earrings and nose rings and, and, and all the things they have. They put it together in order to make this golden calf. calf. God hears this and tells Abram, you need to go down. This is what it says in Genesis 32. The Lord said to Moses, I've been watching these people. Probably going to have like an angry parent kind of uh, voice. I, I've been watching these people and I've seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone. Let my fury burn and devour them. Then I will make a great nation out of you, Moses. I don't want them, but I'll have you. I'm going to steal you and split them. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, he's God, Lord, why does your fury burn against your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and amazing force? Why should the Egyptians say God had an evil plan to take his people out and kill them in the mountains and so wipe them from the earth? God, calm your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your own people. Remember, God, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you yourself promised. I'll make great descendants, as many as the stars in the skies. And I've promised to give you and your descendants this whole land to possess. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible things he said that he would do to his people. And Jewish scholars, the rabbis and the rabbinical tradition go, Noah did not speak up on behalf of the rest of the world. Abram did, but he spoke up on behalf of the righteous. But, Abraham, uh, but Moses spoke up on behalf of the evil things and the people that God had created and had turned their back on them, Moses spoke up on their behalf because God, you are kind, spare your people. Moses comes down, has a little confrontation with Aaron, um, and then the next day, um, this is what it says, the next day Moses said, he goes one step further by the way, he, he asks God, to change his mind, but he goes one step further. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a terrible sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Maybe I can, maybe, it's, it's a conversation, it's a dialogue. Maybe I can ch arrange reconciliation on your account for your sin. Man, I would love to have someone like that. Maybe I can go to God and work out a deal. Split, steal, maybe we can make a deal. 
So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what terrible sin these people have committed. They made for themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin, God, and if not, then wipe me out of your scroll that you've written. Noah, when confronted with a God who is going to destroy the world, saves his family, obeys God and saves his family. Abraham, confronted with the destruction of two cities, at least speaks up on behalf of the innocent and saves his family. Moses, confronted with a God who's going to wipe out his very own people, challenges God's kindness, says, you are kind, do who you are. And God changes God's mind. And then the next step, Moses says, I am willing to sacrifice my life if you are not going to be kind. Now can you see why Jewish scholars and rabbis revere Moses above the other patriarchs? There shouldn't be a hierarchy, but there is. Because Moses was in dialogue with God on behalf of all God's people to change God's mind. We're talking about being kind. And as we have these three patriarchs, we have a theological lesson on the kindness of God, chesed, that happens 246 times in the Old Testament. Loving kindness. And Moses is the disruptor in the way that people perceive kindness to just work. Moses is the disruptor for the systems put in place where some people steal and other people win. Moses is the disruptor in the theological constructs of a God who destroys some and saves others. And Moses leans into the kindness of God, the loving kindness of God, and says, God, be the God you say you are. Thank you, Moses. This brings me back to Golden Balls. That TV show we started with in the beginning, if you missed it in the beginning of the sermon, catch up. <laughs> so remember, the show is set up where you, two people, contestants, confront each other with a pot of money that they can either split, if you choose the split ball, you both share the winnings. You can say, like in the first one, I'm going to split with you. I am. Do you trust humankind? Do you trust the person sitting in front of them? How do you make your decision? Are they looking good? Did they dress well? What kind of accent do they have? What kind of skin color do they have? What kind of job do they have? How do you judge people's kindness when money is at hand? And the show, again, is not so much about money, but revealing who we are as human people. And something incredible happened on one of these game shows. A guy by the name of Nick Corrigan, Corrigan became the disruptor of game theory. By the way, he goes onto game shows in order to uh, win money for charity, which is really awesome. Uh, in the Radiolab interview, he said this was his 40th, 40, yeah, 43rd um, game show that he had gone on. And he'd won like over a million pounds for charity. So Nick comes and he changes the game. He disrupts the system. It's a three-minute clip. 
Audio is a little bad because it's from old YouTube, but here we go. Abraham. Nick is on the right. Abraham, I want you to um, trust me. 100% I'm going to pick the steel ball. Sorry, you're going to... I'm going to choose the steel ball. You're going to take I want you to do split, and I promise you that I will split the money with you. Well, after you've took the steel? Yeah. You're going to take steel? Yeah. I'm going to take split? Yeah. So you take the money... And I will split it with you. After the show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you I'll do that. If... If, if you do steal, we both walk away with nothing. I'm telling you, 100% no, I'm going to do it. I appreciate that. Right, I'll give you another alternative. <sighs> Why don't we just both pick split? I'm not going to pick split. I'm going to steal, Ibrahim. Honestly, 100% I'm going to steal. It's in your nature to steal. No, I, I'm honest, and I'm going to tell you're, you... You're an honest man. I am. That's why I'm telling you I'm going to steal. If you do split, then I will I split the money. I can't see myself doing that. Okay, well, I'm going to steal, so we're going to leave with nothing. Where's your brains coming from? <laughs> I can't work out. I know that I'm a decent guy and I will split the money with you. Well, we should just both split then. No, I'm going to do steal. There is no legal no, I know, requirement I know there is. I know there for is. him to give you the of money. Of course. If I gave you my word... Now, let me, let me tell you what my word means. OK. My father once said to me, a man who doesn't keep his word is not a man. He's not worth nothing. Not worth a, not worth a dollar. I agree. So, Ibrahim, I'm going to steal. So you've got the choice. You either steal, and we both walk away with nothing. Because you know, I've told you my intention, and I've told you that I will split the money with you, Ibrahim. If I gave my word that I was going to split, I would split. And you're going to take steal, so... The only way you can guarantee to walk away with 6,800... Is by to guarantee that you both put the split ball in. And I do now have to push you for a decision. It's a tough one. We've lost it. We've lost everything. Okay. Last then. We're walking away with no money because you're an idiot. No, that's you're not true. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. That's what you are. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. That's what you are. We, we, this can go on all night and these people have got to get up for breakfast. <laughs> Nick, choose split or steal. Ibrahim, choose split or steal. Now, please. Chooseable. Right, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go with you. Okay. I'm going to go with I promise you I will split it. You cannot change your balls now. Split or steal? Yes! Congratulations, you have both split and each received £6,800. Pounds. Why did you put me through that? Why did you do it to me? Who the world's closer than than me? Clever, huh? In this game of life where we split or steal, where there are people who are outside and there are people who are inside, how do we go about proclaiming the kindness of God? You gotta go listen to that Radio Lab interview. Just pod, uh, Google Radio Lab Golden Balls, and you will find this episode. Because, by the way, the person uh, Abraham, who was so upset about this. They asked him, what are you going to do with your money? They, uh, Nick said, I'm going to share my money with the, uh, the charity. And Ibrahim said, I'm going to respray my uh, sailboat. He already has a lot of money. And when they interview them, by the way, this three-minute section was 45 minutes in the game show. 
It's edited down to three. They were having 45 minutes of conversations whether they could trust each other. Um, and this, this Ibrahim fellow, he said he was gonna steal. He's like, I was gonna steal because I'm here to make money. I was never gonna split. So here you have Nick, who's a disruptor of this game show. I don't know what happened after this game show if people continued to try this strategy. But he's a disruptor in the way that this game is set up. And he said, I am going to trust in goodness. I don't know about that person's goodness, but I'm going to trust in goodness, and I'm going to take control of the narrative. Because I have a bigger goal in mind, which is I want to give money to charity so that the charities I support can thrive. He disrupted the game for the sake of those people and for the sake of kindness winning out. And he did. And so here we have three patriarchs, Noah, Abraham, and Moses. And perhaps in the vein of 1 Corinthians 13, now faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is, perhaps we could say along with the rabbinical commentary, and now Noah, Abraham, and Moses, and the greatest of these is, maybe that's too much. I'm putting words into a rabbi's mouth. But when we look at the kindness of God, are we going to challenge each other and our God to live and breathe the kindness that Jesus reveals to us? We started our sermon with Psalm 25. Let's revisit it just for a second. The psalmist says, remember, God, you have forgotten. Remember, God, your tender mercies and your, and your loving kindness. God, remember, have you forgotten? And then the psalmist turns inward. God, you remember, but do not remember my sins of my youth. Do not remember my transgressions. God says, uh, the psalmist says, you, God, remember and says, but do not remember me. It's about you and it's about me and you are God and kind and I am human and I try to be, but often I fail. And so the third line mixes God and us together. According to your mercy, God, remember me for your goodness sake. Not only for my goodness sake, but for what your kindness says to the people who are watching, to the people who are drowning, to the people who are in places of destruction and violence, to the people who don't know. God, for your goodness sake, be kind. Because God is kind and we see God in Moses and in uh, Exodus 32, change God's mind for the sake of the people and for the sake of God's own character. Two weeks on being kind. Pastor Chris said last week, maybe that's too much. Mr. Rogers said, there are three keys to success. The first is being kind. The second is being kind. And the third is being kind. One last thing. I did not read this in Jewish commentary. This is Devo commentary. And I may be wrong, 
but I want to share it with you nonetheless. As I look at the story of Noah, Abram, and Moses, to try and understand what convicted each of them to challenge or not challenge God's kindness, why these three radically different approaches? It dawned on me that in the narrative in Genesis chapter 6, Noah is one of a thousand or hundreds of thousands. It is Noah and the big world. It's cosmic, remember, because the first part of Genesis is cosmic. In chapter 12, it turns local. But it's cosmic, so it's Moses with all the people. There's no real mention of uh, Noah having a relationship with the people around him. So perhaps did he not intercede or advocate on behalf of others because he was not with them? When you think of Abraham, Abraham is a step closer because Abraham does not live in Sodom and Gomorrah. He lives just outside of that. But he lives close to the city and he has family in the city. And so we assume that Abraham had interaction with people in Sodom and Gomorrah and with his family there. So Noah, there's no indication of being with the people in a deep and meaningful way. Abram, there is, no, there is little more indication, but with Moses, Moses lives and breathes the Exodus story. Moses lives and breathes as God's people. And so I'm wondering, as we talk about God's kindness, if we are with People, if we are with people in a deep, profound, and meaningful way, whether our kindness will shift from steel to split. I wonder. And as we now transition from Thanksgiving to what we call Advent, the first coming of Jesus, and we focus on Christmas and this baby that was born, we know that Jesus was called Emmanuel, God, Emmanuel, God, with us. And as scripture continues to grow in our understanding of God, God sends God's self in Jesus to be with us, fully with us, in order to lavish God's kindness on us. And so today, we start our Advent season with lighting the first Advent candle. We're going to have our three youth read our Advent candle for today as we lean into the God who is with us. The things we get for Christmas will not last as long as the things we get from Christmas. We will finish our Christmas treats, get bored of our Christmas toys, and grow out of our Christmas clothes. But the things we get from Christ this Christmas, and always hope, peace, joy, and love, will go with us for our whole lives. Why do we light the Advent candles? The first Advent candle is the candle of the prophets. It stands for hope. Sometimes life can feel dark and scary. Christmas reminds us that Christ is the light of the world. Like the prophets of old, we can have hope in his coming. While we wait, we are the light of the world for all who need hope. We light this candle for hope. 
God of hope, on this first Sabbath of Advent, you call us to watch and pray for your coming again. May we wait for your coming with hope in our hearts, hope that shines your light in the darkness. Amen. And so we turn to Advent, when kindness became flesh and dwelt among us. Kindness became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth and embrace. Amen.